This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Joshua Wirth talks about exorcism. What is the ordinary way the devil attacks? Why does he attack? What can we do about it? Well, let's find out. Here's Father Joshua Wirth. The best place to begin would be in sacred scripture, especially in Mark chapter 5, where we talk about Jesus healing the Gerasene demoniac, because this is one of the most descriptive places in scripture about what is the signs and symbols of demons and how does God deal with them. So Mark chapter 5, the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the territory of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, at once a man from the tombs who had an unclean spirit met him. The man had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one could restrain him any longer, even with a chain. In fact, he had frequently been bound with shackles and chains, but the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles smashed, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the hillsides, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. Catching sight of Jesus from a distance, he ran up and prostrated himself before him, crying out in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had been saying to him, Unclean spirit, come out of that man. He asked him, What is your name? He replied, Legion is my name. There are many of us. And he pleaded earnestly with him not to drive them away from that territory. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they pleaded with him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. And he let them, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down a steep bank and into the sea where they were drowned. Swineherds ran away and reported an incident in the town and throughout the countryside. And people came out to see what had happened. As they approached Jesus, they caught sight of the man who had been possessed by legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were seized with fear. Those who witnessed the incident explained to them what had happened to the possessed man and to the swine. They then began to beg him to leave their district. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed pleaded to remain with him. But he would not permit him, but told him instead, Go home to your family, announce to them all that the Lord in his pity has done for you. Then the man went off and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what Jesus had done for him, and all were amazed. So in this story, this miracle story of of Jesus casting out the steam uh, demons from sacred scripture, we see some of the trademarks, what I call some of the fingerprints, of the devil and the demons and their handiwork. So how can you recognize the work of the devil? One, nudity. Often where there is nudity, there is the work of the devil. The ordinary work of the devil is to get us into a place of temptation. You see, we were created good. Our bodies were created good. But because we sinned, because Adam and Eve sinned, we fell and they covered themselves. Why did they cover themselves? Because then they were ashamed. They were ashamed because now they looked at each other with lust. Now they looked at each other with temptation. So to be 
nude in front of other people is a temptation for us and a temptation for the other people. And to pretend that doesn't happen is to pretend like we are not a wounded, fallen people, is pretend that we are in right relationship with God. So often, so say pornography or, uh, you know, strippers or prostitution or anything like that, that's all has the handiwork of the devil, his fingerprints on it. Because those actions represent how we believe or think we can we can do those actions, we can be naked in front of strangers and not lead them or ourselves into sin. So nudity is a sign of demonic work. Also violence. That the man not only was he naked, but he was he was very violent, striking himself. He could not be contained by chains or shackles and broke them and pulled them apart. He was so strong. So violence is the handiwork of the devil as well. So violence between two people, between two families, between two states, between two countries, you know, violence against the unborn. All of this is the handiwork of the devil. He delights in that because, again, as I've said before, God created life. And since devil can't attack God, he attacks God's creation and destroys it. And he loves nothing more when he can get God's own creation to destroy God's own creation. When he doesn't have to lift his finger to do so, when he can manipulate and seduce and get others to do it instead. Then finally, division is the third fingerprint of the devil and his work because the man says that his name is Legion, for we are many. So a legion, there was 6,000 men, soldiers in a Roman legion. And so he had 6,000 demons in him. He was divided 6,000 ways, maybe 6,001, and one was him. But he was drowned out by the voices, the chaos within himself. So disunity, division is a handiwork of the devil. He loves to divide. The work of the Holy Spirit is to unite. The work of the evil spirit is to divide. So division in families, you know, that's how I can say that I know that the devil's real. I felt, uh, felt him breathing, you know, in my and my own parents' divorce. That was, his fingerprints were all over that. Division, division of families, division of the church, division of faith. When so many people call themselves Christians, but they can't agree on who Christ is or what he's done or what it means to follow him. Division, that's a sign of the devil's work as well. So God wants to unite. He united the whole world under the one banner of the cross. And... The devil wants to divide, get everybody to hold up their own banner and say, well, I'm, I believe this about God, or I believe that, or I follow this person, or I follow that person. Instead of following Christ, we pick many different banners to place over our heads. So all those are great signs of the, of the devil. So Jesus has this power. He has this power, and I think it's really uh, incredible power because What's amazing is that in the Gospels, the first to recognize the divinity of Jesus are the demons. 
So that says to me a couple of things. One, believing in God isn't enough. So many people say, but I believe in Jesus. How could this happen to me? I believe in Jesus. Or aren't we all the same? Don't we all believe in Jesus? Yes. But look, the devil and his demons believe in Jesus. When he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? You know, at this time, nobody recognized the divinity of Jesus. Nobody recognized who he was. But the demons did. They believed because they knew from the very beginning. They believed, but they did not follow. Cardinal Francis George of uh, Chicago says that the devil is the most orthodox person around. That he can quote the catechism from front to back and scripture from front to back. But he does not serve. He is not obedient. He is not faithful. So what does it matter if you have all the belief in the world, but you do not follow it? That's the way it is with the devil. So we can actually learn something about God that we, we fail to recognize. But when evil recognizes it, then we know where God is. You know, sometimes you can tell what is the right thing to do by who's against it. So if Planned Parenthood is against, they want free abortions or they want free contraception and they're trying to provide that or they're against ultrasounds or they're against different things. So I can, I can say, hey, I must be on the side of right if I want ultrasounds before, you know, I want to support legislation for ultrasounds before abortion because they're against it. They recognize the power of it. They recognize that life is behind it, not violence. So therefore, I must be on the right way. How do, I think a better illustration is, uh, you know, when I was talking to my, my mom one time after she had left and uh, she was in as I've said before, she joined witchcraft. She was in, she's in the occult. And we went out to dinner one time, and it was around St. Patrick's Day, and somebody was had advertisement up for a St. Patrick's Day party. And she said, oh, I can't stand St. Patrick's Day. You know, I never really celebrated St. Patrick's Day. I knew in college it was a time to go out and drink and get drunk and party. And it was just excuse to get crazy. And I said, why do you not like uh, St. Patrick's Day. And she said, because St. Patrick destroyed paganism in Ireland. He drove out all the Druids. He converted all the Druids in Ireland and destroyed paganism there. And wow. And so she said, instead of wearing green, she wears black in order to mourn the loss of paganism in Ireland. And I thought to myself, wow, isn't this like the demons recognizing the power of Jesus when we fail to. So many of us have failed to see the power of St. Patrick and what he did and what he did for Ireland and what he did for God and what God did through him. We've failed to see it. And we just see St. Patrick's Day as a day to get drunk, but not the witches, not the Druids, not the pagans. They see the power of God and they mourn that day. So, by looking at what the demons are afraid of, but what you know evil is afraid of, we can sometimes find the good. Isn't that amazing? And then finally, we see Jesus in this strange act of mercy, sending them, these demons, into this herd of swine. And for a Jewish person to be put in inside of a, a pig is the most 
disgusting of all ideas. You know, the the pig was was forbidden to them, and this is a Gentile land that they even have pigs there. These aren't even Jewish people. And so it's almost fitting punishment. You know, the Jewish people would say that's a fitting punishment that the demon, he doesn't even go to hell. He goes into the herd of swine. Maybe that's even worse than hell. I don't know from the from the Jewish mindset, from the ancient Jewish mindset. But the swine would have none of it. They, while they still had their faculties, still had control of their faculties, went out into the lake and drowned themselves rather than be possessed by these evil demons. So they would rather die than be possessed by these demons. And then I think an interesting part happens when the people come out and everything was told to them and the people were afraid. You'd think they'd be happy, right? That this guy who had been possessed all these years, but what had happened is that their livelihood had been destroyed so that this man could be saved. So he was ransomed in a way. In a way, this is a prediction of what Jesus will do for us. Jesus ransomed all of us from the devil, but not the cost wasn't 2,000 swine. That's an earthly cost. The cost was his own blood. The cost for the Heavenly Father to ransom us was the blood of his own son. No higher cost is there than that, the life of his own son. And they were afraid. They were seized with fear. You know, what would the cost be for everybody to be saved from sin? Would all material possessions have to be destroyed? So we have to ask ourselves sometimes, what is the cost for me to get out of this sinful life I'm in? Uh, Some people are, you know, living together before marriage and they're doing that because it's cheap. What would the cost be to get out of that sinful relationship? out of that sinful situation. Some people are stealing from their employer. What would the cost be to get out of that? And they say, it's too much. It's too high. I can't do it. And Jesus is saying, are you like these people who won't even ransom one soul from the devil for 2,000 pigs? Is your soul worth so little you won't ransom? Won't ransom it away from sin? for this small cost of earthly money? So that's a good question to ask ourselves. And then finally, this man wants to follow Jesus, wants to be one of his disciples, and Jesus actually tells him no. So says, go home to your family, announce to them all the Lord and his pity has done for you. What a wonderful thing that God looks down upon us and he says, what have you gotten yourself into? And you know, we often think, that this person maybe was innocent, we don't know. But like I've explained before, the devil seduces. So he he loves to get our own will involved and our own reason and, to, and think that we're doing good. And he seduces us into the occult, into sin. And then God looks down upon us and say, what have you done? Where have you gone? You've gone past my laws. You've gone away from me. And even though this is what you wanted to do, you wanted to walk away from me, I look now with pity upon you, and I rescue you from the devil. I ransom you from the devil. And now go tell everybody what I've done for you. You walked down the wrong road, and I ransom you. Now go tell everybody what I've done for you. So it's a, it's a great description, very descriptive um, power in that Bible message.
So that's kind of the ordinary way that demons work in our lives through violence, nudity, and division. So anger, wrath, sex, lust, relationships, and then finally division, a breakdown of the family, breakdown of the country, breakdown of the state, breakdown of our faith, so that we're divided amongst even sometimes ourself. Our own person is divided. I, I want to do this, but I can't. I'm unable to. I'm stuck. I'm enslaved by sin, as Jesus warned us. That's the kind of the ordinary thing, but that's, that's not what uh, people think about when they think about exorcism. When they think about exorcism, they think about uh, the movie The Exorcist. And they think about how the devil can get into somebody's body and control their body. There's a lot of horror movies made before The Exorcist, and there's a lot of movies made afterwards. But still, people see that as the most horrific movie, even today. The most horrible movie. Why? Because if there's a man chasing you in the physical world, if there's a killer on the loose, you know, there's things that you can do. There's things you can control. But when the devil has a hold of you, we feel like we're totally out of control. We have no recourse. We have no power. And he can go through anything. You know, it's a difference of fear between if I told you there's a tiger on the other side of the door. Oh, okay, a tiger. That's scary, but there's a door in a way. I know its physical limitations. I know what it's capable of. I know how fast it can go. I know how far I can run. I know which guns will kill it. And we start, you know, we know that we know the distance we have to keep from it. But if I said told you there's a ghost on the other side of the door, and suddenly. There's a new type of fear that enters into your heart. What are the limitations of a ghost? Can he come through this wall? Can he grab my heart? Can he, can he read my thoughts? Can he possess me? Can he make me do things I don't want to do? There's a whole different level of fear that happens because we lose control. And the wonderful thing is Jesus has total control. Total control over the elements, total control over bodies, totally control over his own body, total control over even the demons. Even demons must recognize and worship God, must bow down before his authority. So Jesus, through his mercy, through his greatness, has handed on his authority onto the apostles. So many times in scripture, Jesus says, everything has been handed over to me from my father. All authority has been handed over to him. Then he later tells the apostles, everything that's been handed on to me, I now hand on to you. So the power to forgive sins, but also the power to drive out demons. So Jesus gave the apostles the power to drive out demons. And they came back and reported, wow, even the demons are subject to your name, O Lord. And what always... Uh, amazed me is even Judas was able to cast out demons. Isn't that funny? Even though he was going to later betray Jesus, he too was given that authority. So that shows us that even a sinful person, Jesus trusts a sinful person enough to give him his authority. And so that authority has been handed down from the apostles to bishops, to bishops, to bishops, to popes, to bishops, to priests, down through the ages. So now that a delegated priest in any diocese delegated by the bishop can perform exorcisms. 
We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more about Exorcism with Father Joshua Wirth. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. Father Joshua Wirth. Exorcism. In the second half of this show, Father Joshua talks about the extraordinary ways the devil can attack. So, turn up that dial. You won't want to miss this. Now, this is kind of what I consider the extraordinary work of the devil. So, we have the ordinary work, which is nudity, violence, division. Then we have the extraordinary work of the devil, which I'm going to break down into three areas, projection, oppression, and possession. So... This is what we usually uh, think of when we think of like the Exorcist movie. And remember, the Exorcist movie was actually based on a real uh, real story. So there was a a case, I think it was in St. Louis or somewhere in that area, where a boy, it wasn't a girl, it was a boy that uh, was possessed and his family was not Catholic and um, might not have even been baptized, I'm not sure. And they seen a strange behavior in their son and they went to their pastor and a pastor came and seen these very um, strange things. And the book of uh, the ritual of exorcism says that the signs of a, of a true possession are that the person speaks in foreign languages that they would have no, no uh, power to do. They have strength seeming beyond their stature and that they seem to have knowledge of hidden things that nobody else would know. And so this guy was manifesting, this kid was manifesting, you know, he's speaking in foreign tongues and he was saying things that, that he knew, but he wasn't, wasn't even born when that stuff happened. And I seemed to have a strength beyond his stature. And so apparently this Protestant pastor turned to his his uh, this the parents and said you need to get a catholic priest because they have experience with this stuff and so this is the great power of jesus that he handed on his authority to the church and the church has handed on that authority through and even this Protestant pastor could say you know you need to go to somebody that has authority who has experience who has dealt with this for the last two thousand years and they did. They turned to the Catholic Church, and I think they did become Catholic in, in the end. The, the boy was was saved. He was the demon was dro- driven out, and and I think his family became Catholic after that. But this is often what we think about when we hear exorcism. We think of projection, extraordinary powers of the devil and his demons, projection, oppression, and possession. So projection, projection actually is kind of ordinary projection. you see the angels are messengers of God. Uh, 
So they go and they project the message of God to people. Now, do they do that through words? Do they do that through sound waves? You know, when, when the angel is talking to Mary, is he does he have vocal cords that resonate the sound and it's picked up by her ears, which is then interpreted into her brain? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't a sound wave maybe it was a projection into her mind that she had this conversation with this angel in her mind um, that's entirely possible so the fallen angels would have this same ability as well so whenever you have that you know you're just humming along just doing your day and all of a sudden this really bizarre weird thought pops into your head and maybe it's one it's maybe it's one of these three different areas that the the devil has his fingerprints on nudity, violence, or division. Maybe it's something very violent, maybe it's something very sexual, maybe something very di- divisive, and it just pops into your head. That could be a demon that you know the devil who who is able to observe all things and knows where our temptations are. He says, "I'm going to tempt him with this thought." I'm going to tempt her with this idea. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to play with that idea, not reject it and kind of, oh, wow, this idea, I'm going to, I'm going to think about this idea more. And then the seed is planted. So this, I think, you know what I'm talking about? This isn't just, you know, a strange song popped in my head, but like this really just bizarre thing. I wasn't even working or thinking about anything like that. And all of a sudden, boom, this idea came into my head. And we got we to gotta reject that thought right away. Don't play with it. Don't manipulate it. Don't fantasize about it. Throw it away. And sometimes call upon St. Michael the Archangel and call upon your guardian angel to give you a good message, a good thought from God, how much God loves me how much God is proud of me and how he, he's looking forward to me, uh, you know, doing and serving him and living with him forever in heaven. You know, these good thoughts, because sometimes those pop on our heads too. We'll be praying and all of a sudden, boom, this great image of God's love for us just comes in there. It could be that God used an angel to project that that image into you know angels are often called messengers of god he sent that message through the angels to project that that thought into our mind so projection or kind of harassment that could be just kind of ordinary thing but you can usually notice when it's like wait a minute i wasn't just watching a violent tv show and all of a sudden i got this really violent image or i wasn't just uh you know reading a trashy novel and all of a sudden i got this trashy image i wasn't just thinking about to leave my wife but all of a sudden this idea came in my head leave your wife that could be a hook a bait that the devil has projected into your mind to see if you will bite to see if you will play with that thought, to see if you will, it will lead you into sin. Then the next one would be oppression. So this is when the devil's made a good inroad into your life. He's got a bridge that he can easily access. And what's the most common form of access? The most common form of bridge that he has into our life is sin. When we've already fallen into sin, what do we do? We say, well, God can't send me to hell twice, so we commit that sin over and over and over again. And the devil has straight access to our soul that way. 
And what he's doing is he's slowly like a spider and come, you know, wrapping a web around a fly. He's just wrapping us up in that sin. And he's got a direct link now. And another way that he can do this is through occult practices. So he's got a, uh, if you're using a Ouija board, if you've gone to a fortune teller, if, uh, you know, you did a seance or something, you know, now he's got a direct bridge because that's his territory. And you've come into his territory. Now he's got direct access to you. So how do we get rid of those bridges? Well, the most powerful way to do that, this is, this is more powerful than any exorcism. The most powerful way to do that is to go to confession and confess all those sins and hand it over to the Lord and say, Lord, I trusted in things other than you. I reached out to things other than you, things that you told me were forbidden. And I'm sorry. And take this away from me. And Jesus in the confession destroys those bridges, those inroads that the devil has made into our soul. He destroys those bridges. And then after you've gone to confession, go to the Eucharist and say, so you've got rid of the evil spirit. Now you got to replace it with the Holy Spirit. You got to replace, replace it with Christ. You can't just have an empty hole there because then the devil is just going to come back with even stronger. Instead, receive Christ and receive the uh, body and blood of Christ. And that is, confession and Eucharist is more powerful than any exorcism because it destroys it is the two sacraments that destroy those inroads the devil has made and restores the image of Christ, the body of Christ, the spirit, the Holy Spirit in the person. So there's not a vacuum. There's not an empty hole there. And uh, lastly is possession. This is where the person has gone beyond fantasizing about whatever thoughts the devil has given, gone into full-blown, uh, usually a s sinful lifestyle they've made, or some kind of cult practices where the devil has made inroads into their, their soul and has unfettered access to them. And those inroads are kind of like the foothold on a, on a beach and warfare you know first you got to get that foothold on the beach and then you could take over the whole country well once he's got that foothold and he's taken over the whole soul then that's what we call full-blown possession and there could be there can be different degrees of that there can be he's got half the city he's got the whole city he's got three-fourths of the city three-fourths of the soul in that analogy and confession will often be will push back against the devil and then the Eucharist will push back against the devil. But sometimes people need something extra. They need something extra. So that's when we use the rite of exorcism. So the rite of exorcism is a liturgy. It's not something secret. It's, it's, a, it's a prayer of the church. Because the problem is once a possession happens, usually that person's reason, their will, their conscience is kind of pushed to the side. And the devil now kind of controls that person like a puppet. And so they can't even get access to confession. They would go to confession. They don't say anything. You know, they can't get themselves to go to mass. They want to, but it's like they're almost like a puppet on a string and they can't get themselves. So we have to get a The church has to get a toehold, a foothold in a needs to make an inroad into this person's life. And so the inroad that we make is through the rite of exorcism. 
where we call upon the authority that Jesus had over demons and he gave to us. And we do this liturgy over this over this person and we get that foothold, which then leads to confession, which then leads to Eucharist, which then leads to deliverance for this person. So uh, let me give you a couple of examples of this. As you know, my mother was in the occult and or is in the occult. And at one time I decided I'm going to go visit her in California and kind of kind of tell her I forgive her and that I. I don't want to keep living in the past and stuff. So I went there and I was very blown away by it that uh, there was no grace move. I, you know, I stayed in her house for four days, I think, and there was no grace there. It's, it's a very uh, difficult thing to describe, but I can tell when the Holy Spirit is moving, when there's a life of grace in people's lives. And it was like stagnant. It was like the house was stagnant. There was no grace. There was no living water. There was no flowing. It was all it was all kind of putrid and and disgusting and gross. I mean, I still had God with me, but it was like everywhere I went, it was just a stagnation. I can't describe it any other way than that. Well, at one point during the trip, my mother was taking me to uh, which I enjoyed we were going to the different mission you know catholic missions to the indians and that's all over uh, california we were traveling to those different missions and you know of course most of them aren't open now but you know as historical references and we were going to visit these different missions and i thought that was very interesting i enjoyed that and then at one point the only problem was i get motion sickness and we were driving up all around these mountains and stuff, and I get sick to my stomach. And it's a sickness that just doesn't go away. And at one point, they want to take me to this this thing they called the Vortex of Power. I don't know what it was. So anyway, but it was in mountains, and we were up there. And so I followed them, and, and we were walking, and these and it was, a, it was a, a trail in a park. We were just following this trail in the park, and I was sick to my stomach. And we got to the end of this trail, and at the end of this trail was, was this bench. And I laid down on that bench bench, because my stomach was sick, and I closed my eyes. Well, when I woke up, opened up my eyes again, I realized that they had cast what they call a circle around me. That this is where they came to perform their different rituals and stuff. And that that bench, was, which was a park bench, was actually their altar. So I had been laying there, and they had cast a circle around me. So... I didn't think much about it, but I was like, uh-oh, probably shouldn't have done that. Well, anyway, later in seminary, after my first year of seminary, I was very discouraged because I couldn't find a spiritual director I trusted. You know, my first spiritual director said that he didn't believe in the devil and that he just thought people made bad decisions. And, uh, you know, I just rejected that guy, and I just didn't know who to trust. And I was about to leave this, pro- this summer program because I was just feeling sick to my stomach again and I just didn't want to do another summer of school and my bishop my new bishop just happened to visit that weekend he knew the people of this program and I said you know I'm gonna leave and you know because this is what happened to me in my life and I told him about my mom and I said I just don't know who to trust anymore and you know I'm just done and he said well I know some people I trust here and I want you to have a private prayer with this priest and your spiritual director. And so we did. We had that private prayer. 
and I went up to that prayer and I saw on the table was the right of exorcism. And I said, oh man, this is going to be big. And so they said the right of exorcism over me. So I had an exorcism. Now I wasn't, I wasn't possessed. You know, I didn't have full blown possession, but because I had wandered into things that God had forbidden, even though I was ignorant, even though I was naive, even though I was, you know, wasn't paying attention, the devil doesn't care about that stuff. And so he had made an inroad into my soul and they used that rite of exorcism to, to break that. What happened during the exorcism? Nothing fancy, uh, no yelling, no screaming, no vomiting. But one thing that I'd, I always had in my life was this, or it seemed like I always had was this, was just this burning anger in my life. I mean, people just don't realize how angry I used to be. And in fact, I, I would get so angry and so kind of guilt ridden with my own sins that I would ha- feel like my chest or is this a rock in my chest. And I told my spiritual director about it at one point during the exorcism, he placed his hands at the front and back of my chest. Those places that I had mentioned, you know, hurt. Those disappeared. I don't have that anymore. And I th- and a lot of the anger I used to have, I don't have that anymore as well. And another thing that came out of it was there's a part where they mentioned the Blessed Virgin Mary during exorcism. I really felt like there was another person in the room. I think I had my eyes closed at the time, but I really felt like Mary was in the corner of the room. I just felt like there was another person in the room and Mary was in that corner of the room. After the exorcism, the, the Monsignor said, did you feel Mary in the room? And he pointed over to the corner, the same corner I felt that she was in. I mean, that, and that was pretty, pretty amazing. But uh, I think it was that anger. I think it was that violence, that inroad that, that the devil had made into my soul, that he was able just to tweak whenever he wanted. I mean, my blood would just boil sometimes. And especially that physical ailment I had in my chest that where it just felt like a rock. And afterwards I used to didn't be a person that cried or anything like that. And it felt like I just was crying all the time afterwards. That's my own experience. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of people that think maybe this is what they need. Maybe this is what they need to get over their sins. No, what you need is confession and the Eucharist. That's what you need to destroy those bridges of sin that God has made in your life and re- and replace it with God. Unless you had were in the middle were laying on an altar like I was, a Wiccan altar and they cast a circle around you and cast some kind of spell on you, you probably don't need an exorcism. And if you think you do, dioceses usually have an exorcist. We don't tell people who it is so they don't get inundated with phone calls, but the pastor, your pastor usually knows who it is. So if you had some kind of strange occurrence with the occult and you feel like you got some of these things in your life, you got oppression or, or obsession or harassment, or there's problems with nudity, violence, division in your life, you know, maybe talk to your pastor about this stuff. One final thing I want to mention and uh, is that this isn't this might all sound very fantastic to people and all very out of this world because we don't know like i said we can't call upon our own power to stop the devil we can't control him we have to call upon the power of christ he's given that authority over over to the church but 
in my mind, this is all very ordinary for me. And what do I mean? Because the spiritual world and the physical world have the same rules. I don't think Father Fred has mentioned this, but Father Freddy often covers for, for me on the show. But his mother died in a car wreck a couple years ago. And so he could rightly go around and say, watch out, stay away from cars, you know, don't go out on the highways, don't do this. You know, my mother, I lost my mother that way. But he doesn't. He knows that that's, that once you're secure in Christ, once you only fear God, that, you know, we do take risks. We do take risks every day and go out into the world. We're not captured by fear. We're captured by hope. We're captured by love. We're not afraid to go out in the world because of what the devil might do to us. The same way, I could be the same way. Absolutely don't, you know, say these prayers, do this, do this stuff because I lost my mother to this. But I don't want you to think that way. I don't want you to think that the devil's around every corner ready to pounce on you. I want you to think I'm captured by hope. I'm captured by the love of Christ. And it's him who I'm afraid of disappointing. And so I'm going to go live my life boldly and fully. And the devil's going to try to throw me off the track. And I'm just going to say, forget you. I'm going. I'm going to heaven. I'm working on my sainthood. I'm working on being holy. I'm working on following God's will. You're not going to distract me. That's what I want you to walk away with. You know, this idea that, you know, the physical world is very unfair. People just get cancer. People die in car accidents. You know, evil happens. But we take great solace in the fact that that God holds our soul securely. The danger of the occult and, and things of that nature is that we no longer have our trust in God. We have our trust in and other things besides God, that's the danger, right? But if you have your trust in God, then you can go out into the world. You don't have to worry about um, somebody casting spells on you or somebody putting a hex on you or some, you know, I might have a demon or I might have this because do you have faith? Do you pray? Do you go to the sacraments? Then the devil is going to try to knock you off the path, but you're securely held by by God. And so there's very little to worry about. You know, we don't live, if everybody was afraid to die in a car wreck, you know, this world would come to a standstill. I believe in the same way, if everybody was afraid that the devil's going to possess them, then this world would come to a standstill. And that's exactly what he would want. Instead, we need to trust in God, that God has our soul firmly, securely in his hands, that that. Evil can touch our lives. It can touch our very bodies. It can, we can get cancer. Death can happen in our family. Death can happen to us at any moment. But we know that our relationship is strong with God. Our faith is strong with God and that he holds us securely in his hands. And so we live as people captured by hope, captured by fear of the Lord, that we don't want to do anything to disappoint him. And we trust in his will and the love that he has for us. I want to thank you, and I want to remind everybody to pray for their priests and to support the faith wherever you find it. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you are a business or service that can underwrite this Double-Edged Sword show, please know your spot can run three times during this show, which runs five times a week. Plus, you'll be 
helping evangelize souls, and those rewards are eternal. Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts.